0: Filmmakers and and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I've created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month I'm exploring some mumblecore films as recommended by David Bax of Battleship Retention, and in this week's episode I'll be talking about Barry Jenkins' directorial debut in 2008, Medicine for Melancholy. First and foremost, I think it's, uh, I should probably say that medicine for melancholy is 1,000 times better than funny haha. If you listened to my episode last week on funny haha, you'll know that I was um, respectful uh, of it. I was admiring what it was doing and how it was doing it, uh, speaking to a specific time and place, Um, but that I didn't necessarily like it and it wasn't necessarily a film that i would want to watch again or recommend um medicine for melancholy is uh, i mean truthfully not necessarily a film i would want to watch again uh, at least in the sense of um in the context of barry jenkins um canon which with uh, moonlight and um If Beale Street could talk, then Medicine for Melancholy is uh, a a distant third place. Um, But it is one that I would, I think, recommend, certainly to a specific audience. It's not that I would go outside and and tell everyone that I meet that they should see Medicine for Melancholy. But certainly there is a a real authorship to this film. There's a real um, voice, directorial vision. And it speaks to something larger than just kind of... um, angst and existential stagnation now superficially there are a lot of similarities between uh, medicine for melancholy and funny haha ha on the surface um they they both kind of feature this low budget aesthetic um medicine for melancholy was shot uh, i think for like thirteen thousand dollars on a panasonic hvx uh digital camcorder which you know even back in 2008 when this film was made was not um was even still a little bit behind the times in, in terms of uh digital camera technology. Um, they, they focus around 20-something-year-old uh, you, you know, characters that are sort of existentially stagnant for some type of reason. Both of them have uh, instances of frustrating, eye-rolling moments of romantic plotting. Um, and when it comes to that specifically, I'll kind of get to that later in the episode. But Medicine for Melancholy, at least um, in its subtext and more than a few times in its explicit text, speaks to more than just the present Moment. Um, funny, haha. As I kind of said at the top of the show, and as I talked about last week, invoked a a specific time and a place. Um, at least a specific time and a place for me and for you know um, white twenty-somethings who had just kind of graduated from college, were living in the suburbs, and kind of had this question hanging over their heads of what am I doing? Where am I going? Why am I doing it? Who am I? And just all these big unanswerable questions that we all sort of had but at the same time all sort of thought were sort of specific to us and how that can kind of lead to this um, meandering feeling and the sense of isolation um, but funny haha you know not just not did it just speak to a time and a place but it felt stuck there um, uh, you know watching it as a 35 year old I, I, I kind of joke that basically I, I kind of said to myself I'm so thankful I'm not 23 anymore like thank god I, I'm, I'm past that point um, and so there is a dated feel to, honey, uh, to Funny Haha, not in the sense of look at the technology that was used to create it or look at the technology or the, the lingo or the dresses or anything that people are, you know, uh, using in the film, but just more in the sense of that specific emotion was so specific to a time and a place in the development of young people. And so it just felt very much like it was stuck in that time and a place that was sort of. There wasn't much consideration given to the past, and there wasn't a whole lot of consideration given to the future because um, they were just so caught up in now because that's all they had. And, and it did feel stuck and and stagnant. Now, in Medicine for Melancholy, the, the characters of Micah and Joe, they do feel like they're they're stuck or they're spinning a the wheels a bit, um, but not because there's no consideration for the past and there's no real idea about the future. They more feel like they're kind of stuck or or, or we are focused on the present moment with them because... They're caught up in a trans- in, in a transitional period between the past and the present um, of both their race and of their city, um, the fates of which are kind of both intertwined um, with each other. So, especially in the character of Micah, um, when he you know he takes Joe to the museum and uh, that poster that he's got hanging on his wall, and uh, even in the explicit things that he he says to her, he is very aware of. The past of the race, of the city, how things are changing, how things are changing for the worst, kind of remembering how things were, um, you know, to kind of arm oneself uh, with that knowledge and with that activism and, and that that being deliberate uh, about your identity moving forward into the present. Um, Oakland and San Francisco are, uh, are, are cities that have gone through, like most major cities, drastic periods or, or, or drastic um Uh, Yeah, I guess drastic periods of uh, gentrification, um, you know, and and as we saw in sort of the the Housing Rights uh, Committee um Uh, members uh, circle basically this idea of how things are getting more expensive and people are kind of getting pushed out of the city Uh, they're getting pushed out into oakland and people in oakland are getting pushed further out this has been something which is um certainly wasn't new in 2008 um, maybe a little bit newer than it is now in 2019 but certainly an issue which is still going on so um almost inadvertently basically by Barry Jenkins making this film in 2008, it becomes resonant and becomes prescient because this is something which is still happening. Um, I believe, uh, was it sometime in the last couple of years, uh, you know, New York or San Francisco became the most expensive city to live in, uh, in the entire country, surpassing New York city, which is the the city that I have uh, chosen to live in. Um, and the characters of joe and micah embody uh the 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 dueling approaches that african americans uh, took in the light of these systemic changes um and what's interesting about uh this film what's interesting about their characters is that both of them have valid points and so neither of them are really wrong um you can uh, watching this film you can kind of see um You can see where Mike is coming from, but you can also kind of see where Joe is coming from. Um, And you you have this idea of... of, um Joe kind of being a character who is black while being part of the culture, whereas Micah is—he defines his blackness as um, opposing the culture, or at least how he sees it as the culture opposes him. Um, this idea of sort of like yes, I you know Joe saying like I can be black and still be part of this city and still be part of what's going on, whereas um, Micah sees it as diametrically opposed forces, and um, black culture is being pushed out, and white culture is is being. Um, is sort of being imposed as the de facto culture in this city and that there's no real space for him and that um, white culture is sort of um, appropriating and, and subjugating and taking away um, not just the things that he enjoys, but also the memory of things that used to happen, the memory of, of what happened to African Americans in the city. Um, and that's why it's so important that he takes her to that museum. It's this idea of of remembering the past and of hanging on to it and yet by also... Um, with his approach, um, there also is, is this idea of, of, like I said, opposition to it. You know, what he hangs on to, he hangs on to it so that he can be separate, so that he can be opposed. It's sort of this idea of, um, you know, a very uh, a black and white relationship in regards to what is going on in, in society around him. Um, <clears throat> now, Jenkins said to Trebek a film uh, shortly after this film came out, and I will, I will post this article on the Facebook page. He said, <clears throat> excuse me the characters in the film are sort of playing out this debate back and forth about identity politics. For me, making the film was also about where I could fall, where I would fall between these two ideologies. I'm striving to become more in line with the character of Joe to think that race and any divisions are limitations, but there are some valid points that Micah is making. I kind of want to journey towards where Joe is, but without forgetting the place where Micah is coming from. Um, So it's, it's really interesting that he makes this film, which uh, has these, these two opposing forces, but doesn't, necessarily put them in i mean i mean there is conflict between the two of them you see micah constantly asking joe why she feels she has to date a white person um but it's not the conflict which is at the center of this story instead there is this um there there's the jenkins is more is more focused on on trying to draw a connection between these two trying to reconcile these two and by reconciling these two people um maybe Kind of trying to, to generate some type of catharsis and reconciling <clears throat> these two larger I uh, you know uh, oppositional uh, philosophies maybe uh, maybe by making this film he was kind you know trying to kind of exercise something that was was going on inside him and, and so he he takes a very intimate approach to something which is larger and 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 um, very important to him. Um, this, uh, this question of uh, black identity against larger societal forces um, is something that obviously Jenkins would work with in moonlight uh, later on that he would win uh, uh, the Oscar for and for uh, in and in if Beale Street could talk which is um, also was criminally overlooked when it did come to the Oscars but that's a separate story um, and it's it's I'm really happy that I got to see this film now, after I've seen those two films, after kind of um, seeing a, 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 a refined and fully polished Barry Jenkins of what he was capable of, and just kind of knowing what it, you know, familiarizing myself with what he has come to identify himself, or, or no, that's putting it the wrong way, but... Now that I'm familiar with um, his approach to the films that he that he makes and the stories that he tells, I'm glad that I was able to kind of get a grasp on that and then look back at this one um, to kind of see how the groundwork had been laid for that. Um, this isn't a bad film. This is a uh, in in a, a few ways is is truly an exceptional film, uh, but it is also rough. I mean, not just uh you know not just superficially in that low budget mumblecore aesthetic, but it also is. As I mentioned, uh, with explicit things that are stated in the text, it is very on the nose a lot of times. I mean, you do uh, you do get the sense that a lot of what Micah is saying is coming directly from. Um, Barry Jenkins' mouth, and there's not a whole lot of subtlety to it, and it feels. And I don't want to say this as in a pejorative sense. Um, it does feel very kind of student film in the sense of of making sure that you are aware of the points that he's trying to make, of making sure that his message is not lost. He is very blatant and upfront about it at certain times, and to be honest with you. Those moments, I don't want to say took me out of the film, but those were the moments I'm like, mm, yeah, first-time filmmaker. Okay, he's he's eventually going to get better at this, as we saw in Moonlight and in If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, um, and, but it, but it also shows once again what he was ultimately going to be capable of, which um, he was capable of making some truly uh, tremendous art. Um, and I and I have to say I am um. I am a sucker for a film that speaks to a larger kind of societal problem or um, you know a systemic um, context. Basically, um, that's why I'm I'm a big uh, horror fan as well, or at least in regards to uh, the, the some of the films that that show the potential of what horror can do. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm not just drawn to this film because of the larger message it has. I'm not just drawn to this film because it is a um, a message film or or something which does speak to those larger contexts. There is also some great filmmaking and some directorial authorship in here, which makes this something which is worth remembering, worth recommending, and, and, and something that makes it stand apart from uh Funny Haha, ha, which was just kind of um it did sort of have a feel of like, let me just put the camera here and watch these non-professional actors improvise and just kind of be themselves. There's a that is valid for what Funny Haha ha was trying to do, which is not something that I necessarily connect with or or think that um um, a lot of people do connect with um but you see uh Jenkins talent um as a director and, and ultimately what he would refine and, and become as, as a director later you s- you see that here and you see like i said the uh the the, the deliberate nature of a director and and, and and the intentional nature of someone who thinks about the shots and thinks about his approach and is utilizing um this uh cinema as, as a as a way to tell the story um i have said that um Initially, in the conversation with David, I thought that um, uh, it was a bit of a cop-out when he said that um, what makes these stories cinematic is that they are cinema, um, and, and I kind of understand that by looking at Funny haha ha and thinking the mood and tone evoked in this story could not have been done in a book or in a painting or in a song, necessarily. There is something about the way that the um, visuals and everything work together um, contextually in Funny Haha to evoke something from that. But Medicine for Melancholy is the is the film where I kind of uh, see the potential for what uh, a director can do with a camera to sort of almost not transcend the genre, but be exemplary of what this specific medium uh, can do. Sorry, I said genre. I didn't mean it. I meant medium, but And there's a few specific examples I want to point to, beginning with the um, the opening sequence uh, when it is very clear that uh, what we are seeing is the morning after uh, a one night stand, which does later become more explicit when Joe says, "This was a one night stand," uh, you know, stretching out there their 24 uh, hours together. Um, But what's great about that is when you first start seeing it, it's it's the little things that Jenkins cues you in on uh, and what he shows you versus what he has the character say. So what we start out is we have um, Micah going up to, uh, going into the bathroom and brushing his teeth with toothbrush on his finger. And so automatically we're keen to, oh, this is not his place. Okay. And then Joe comes in and you, and with the assumption that this is her place and she starts brushing her teeth with her fingers as well, and like, oh, this is not her place either. And then the two of them walk down the stairs and they're putting their shoes on and uh, the guy downstairs comes out and offers them breakfast and you realize, oh, this is that guy's place. They have not only had a one-night stand, but they have had a one-night stand in somebody else's place last night. And it's those three stages of, of these uh, little reveals without them having to say anything where you get the, you, you get immediately um, the idea of where they are, you get their relationship with each other, and you also kind of get the tone um, and the mood between the two of them as well. And he does that without really needing any dialogue whatsoever. It's just what he shows you when he shows it to you, and how he shows it to you, is such an effective way of just immediately keying you into okay. I know exactly um, what these characters um, are, are doing with each other, and I and I kind of get a sense of, of the relationship with each other as well. So when Micah proposes, they go get coffee, and she's not exactly cavalier about it. You kind of get the sense of yes, okay. It was a one night stand. They were pretty drunk last night, as indicated by the shot of all the empties in the sink. Um, he's trying to develop some time, some type of connection, which, you know, I guess we can kind of understand. And also she is a bit reluctant about it, which we can also understand. It's so effective at generating context, both emotionally and, um, I guess, uh, well, mainly just emotionally, uh, basically, um, that, that kind of sets the, 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 the expectations for, um, how this relationship is going to play out for the film moving forward. Um, um, and also you see, uh, you, you see very much early on in this um, Barry Jenkins' um, emphasis on faces, when it, especially when it comes to uh, developing a connection between intimacy, um, or not a, a connection between intimacy, but his focus on faces to evoke intimacy. One of the things that I loved about If Beale Street Could Talk was how Barry Jenkins would frame the scenes between or the conversations between his two main characters as close-up and having them centered and looking directly into the camera. And by cutting back and forth between um, the male character and the female character interacting with each other like that, you did get this sense of an intimacy which is exclusive to them. And then later on in the film when someone else comes in and is framed the same way, it feels invasive and it feels not right and you feel like the sanctity of this relationship has been um tainted not tainted in some way but you feel like someone has has uh, has uh interfered with it you know like this was something that existed between these people and this person has co-opted it has ruined it has interfered with it um there's not something that uh that that Stylistic in regards to how he frames Micah and Joe in this film, but he does focus a lot on their faces, on their reactions, on eyes of them looking at each other, of smiling, of Micah kind of having a, a, a lingering gaze on her while she is looking off somewhere else. And it's not a whole lot of talking about the connection that they have with each other. You just kind of have to get the sense, or you do get the sense of how they feel about one another and their connection with each other based on a focus on their eyes and on their faces and how they connect with each other, which is um, rather evocative and I think was also uh, interesting. And then, of course, finally, you can't talk about this film unless you kind of talk about the visual approach to it, which was the way that he completely desaturated the film, or not even completely desaturated the film, but desaturated the film enough where there is a little bit of invoking of color um specifically a, a red you know in any shape of uh, or any shade of, of red or pink kind of coming out and the rest of it is sort of um black and white and it, it seems sort of um gimmicky at first and well gimmicky is often sort of used in, in a derogatory sense it is a gimmick but it is a gimmick that works for what he is um not what just he is trying to do but also what what it invoked in me uh personally as a viewer for this um he um he talks about how the the scenes in the in in the film that have the most color are the ones where they're not talking about race. So the scene of them on the the carousel is the one that has um, until the very end, which I'll get to uh, in a little bit. That that scene, or kind of right in the middle of the film, is the one that has the most color. And by bringing that color in when they're when the 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 idea about race and these larger societal issues are sort of pushed to the outside, it does evoke this idea of a warmth and a connection that is developing between the two of them, and how. What is going on right there is important and is beautiful and is worth hanging on to. And then once they get back to the political discussions, the discussions about race and the discussions about what's going on in the city, that color is kind of drained out of it. And so it does evoke this idea of um, the beauty that is is occurring between two people and that intimate connection um, sort of. Removed, or, or at least for the moment, ignoring um, the larger societal forces that are at play. For me, it also um, it also evoked memory, in the sense of when you're first seeing this movie, uh, the opening shots are, you know make it look like it is shot in black and white, and then when you do see that mostly entirely desaturated um, red, which I think is on Micah's shirt, you kind of think at first like, is wait, is that did I just see? color, is there color in there? And and you're not really sure yourself as to what you just saw, and you kind of are, are thinking more about it, and you're paying more attention to it. And to me, that evoked memory, in the sense of, um, think about if you have a partner, or if you have a best friend, or a favorite, I don't know, employee, uh, or not employee, but like, co- or whatever, just someone who is very important to you, think about the first time that you met them, and try and try and picture the wardrobe that they were wearing. If you met this person a while ago, I'm gonna say over, let's say over six months ago, uh, years ago, over a decade ago, you might have a general sense of sort of what they were wearing, what the color of his or her shirt was, or pants, or dress, or hairstyling, maybe they colored the hair, you kind of have a picture in your mind, but it's also not entirely a clear picture. It's not like you're looking at a painting or a photograph of that person. You just kind of have a, a vague, ethereal kind of, almost translucent picture in your head where you kind of you have an idea of a color, but you can't really focus on it. It's not solid. It doesn't become clear, and you just kind of think like, wait, what, was it was it that was it was it brown, was it yellow? Was it kind of a, a maroon? And that sense of, of 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 kind of not even stuttering or struggling, but just kind of like, did I? Did I really see what I what I thought I saw? The image in my head is that really what it was? That thought process reminded me of the process my brain went to when I first started watching this movie, just thinking like, "Wait, did I did I see red? Was that was that red when they first met each other? Was he was he wearing a red shirt?" And it, it's very it is very evocative of emotion to me, and specifically this idea of. Um, the emotion you felt around the first time you in, you you kind of really interacted with this person who is very special to you. Um, I also think that it could, uh, that, it, that it can speak to this idea of, of the culture that is that has been drained from the city. That is, one of Micah's biggest gripes is this idea of how the city is changing and how culture has been co-opted and pushed out, and uh, there is sort of this dominant uh, culture now, which is very much the culture of, of, uh, of white people. And um, and so, by having these two uh, characters exist in this world where a lot of the color has been drained out of it, it does kind of have this, um, this kind of subconscious sense of of, uh, of taking place in a city where, the, where its culture has been has been drained out of it. Um, I do also have to kind of wrap up um, by speaking about the things that I think didn't work or or kind of the the, the, the negatives about this film for me. And to be completely honest, the negative is. The romance, which uh, this film is entirely, uh, at least textually, is is entirely about uh, the romance, and I think it's um, not very well done. Um, I, I guess I was kind of wondering the whole time while I was watching this movie that, like, the the film and Jenkins wants us to think that the interactions between these two people are beautiful, and 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 as he shoots them they certainly do evoke beauty and especially the soundtrack is wonderful um, but there also was this question in, in my mind the entire time I said like but why are these two into each other now it was a one night stand so alcohol and, and physical connection certainly drew them together the previous night but why is Micah feeling like he needs to keep this thing going to perpetuate this thing I mean yes he he returns her uh, license after she leaves her wallet in the cab but also why is he so intent on bringing it back to her why couldn't he have mailed it to her why is he why did why is he drawn to her which i don't say as a as a detraction from joe as a character in the sense of ugh, i didn't like her why is he her? but just in the sense of give me some type of reason why he feels like he needs to because he is very insistent almost kind of obnoxiously so in the sense of even after he, he learns that she's got a boyfriend, it's still hang out with me, be connected with me. He very much wants her to fall for him, um, which also leads me to a bit of a moral complaint in the sense of um, you have cheated on your uh, significant other. I don't know why I should be invested in this relationship when it is um, founded on something which I find kind of reprehensible, but at the same time, I recognize there's some hypocrisy in that. In the sense of, um, I watch movies all the time in which we are supposed to relate and uh, relate to and root for murderers, drug dealers, um, general assholes, and repugnant people in general. Um, so why is my uh, why is my specific gripe with people who are um, unfaithful? Why is is why does that have? Um, more uh validity or more uh relevance and that is certainly a separate conversation um but i do kind of wonder like why are why why i mean i think the film wants us to believe that joe is kind of drawn to micah because he's he's sort of the woke guy and she is not which is a a kind of if that is the approach i I find that a little condescending towards her character um especially because she is not a pushover she is very strong-willed she is the one who kind of makes it very clear and yeah, they're, they're spending time together, but she's like, this is a one-night stand. Nothing further is going to come of this. And even when he challenges her on her blackness, basically, on her role in the culture and her identity, she pushes back to him as well in a sense of, like, why does it have to be this way? Why can't I be me, basically, is what she is saying. So she is a, a strong-willed character, but it's also I'm not entirely sure why she's connected to him, why these two people are connected to each other, beyond just the physical connection. Maybe that's all there is, and maybe that's okay, and maybe that's enough for you. It's it's not really necessarily enough for me. Um, enough where after they go dancing, and he's kind of drunk and he's complaining to her on the street once again about um, you know why she has to date a white boy, she gets in the cab and she drives away, and I was like, great, this is awesome how it ends. Um, and then the cab stops, and he gets in the car, and they spend the night together again. It, like it kind of felt like a, not a betrayal, but it felt sort of like a you are lowering yourself to this man. Um, you should not have done that. But I guess Jenkins sort of needs them to get together at the end because by having these two people who are, as we kind of already established, philosophically sort of oppose each other, if we sort of have them leave without a resolution or on bad terms, then it's sort of the the message that comes across then is how these two philosophies, are irreconcilable with each other. Um, Now, having said that, the shot that has the most color and in which all the color is brought back is the very last shot in which Micah is sleeping in bed um, and Joe is outside on her bike leaving him, and it seems like it's implied leaving him without telling, without notice, without anything, and the color is all brought back. And seeing as we've had Jenkins establish uh, that when they're not talking about race, when they're not talking about these larger sy- systemic and political problems, that's when the beauty kind of comes back. Um, bringing the color back as these two are parting, I almost kind of wonder if this the implication is maybe it's a good thing that these two people are not going to be together because if they are together, if they do stay together, if she leaves her boyfriend to be with this woke guy... Then maybe all that their relationship is going to be about is this conflict, is this tension, is this diametrically opposed uh, opposition between, I'm sorry, diametric opposition between how he sees his identity and how he sees her identity. Um, So the fact that there is color in the end as she's leaving is sort of like perhaps this is a good thing because they can both. Go about their lives being who they are, both being beautiful in what they think and what they believe, and that conflict is not going to be part of it. Um, That's just something that I saw in it. Um, If you want to get, if you want to re familiarize yourself with this film or familiarize yourself with it for the first time, um, it's available to rent or buy. It is not free streaming anywhere, but you can rent or buy it on Amazon, YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes um and that does it for this episode on medicine for melancholy i hope that you enjoyed it because i certainly enjoyed watching it and um as i started taking notes kind of realized actually that i enjoyed this film a a lot more than i first thought when i was um initially watching it so if you like this film if you didn't like this film if you completely disagree with everything i've just said or you are in complete agreement with me of course i still want to hear from you one way or the other it's easy enough to reach me at you do movies badly at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at NolanFixesTeeth or you can chime in on the Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash I do Catch up on back episodes of I do movies badly either at battleshipretention.com, go to the podcast drop down menu and find I do movies badly, where you can also chime in in the comments field or um, find me on iTunes or find me on IDoMoviesBadly.podbean.com So that does it for Medicine for Melancholy. Please tune in next week where I'll be wrapping up Mumblecore with Lena Dunham's writer, uh, or no, it's not her di- it's not her debut, but I am going to be wrapping up Mumblecore and the month with Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture, and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.